Welcome once again to the Irish NFL podcast, brought to you in association with Titan Roofing. As always, I'm Mark Cockrell. Today, a patiently awaiting Patriots fan for our game, which has been put off to Monday night. And I'm joined, as always, by our gritty Giants fan, Brian O'Leary, who's just looking for directions to get back to the end zone. Brian, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mark. Uh, as regular listeners of the pod will know, we're usually joined by Gordon Bridgefield, but as he's a Steelers fan, we're playing it really safe and sent him off for mandatory testing uh, just to ensure we don't poison anyone. But we do have a decent sub coming in. Um, joined today to the, to the pod by Nat Coombs, Nat, who uh, broadcast with Channel 5, Channel 4, BBC, and hosts the NFL show with Nat Coombs Weekly on TalkSport. Nat, you're very, very welcome to the pod. Thank you very much. It is great to, great to be here. Hey, listen, I should uh, uh, plug uh, straight off the bat uh, ESPN, who are uh, uh, amongst my current employers as well. Otherwise, uh, I'll be thrown uh, straight off this pod, straight off that show, and probably will never grace any broadcast airwaves again. <laughs> Always good to keep all the bases covered now. I'm a now, company man. I'm a company man. You have been involved in like broadcasting, supporting, being a fan of the NFL for like multiple years at this stage. But I seem to realize that, unfortunately, for something you've done wrong in a past life, you're a Miami Dolphins fan. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. Talk about the talk about the double whammy of a, I'm also a West Ham fan. So I've uh, <laughs> well, hey, things are looking up there. So uh, it's not all bad. The yeah, I'm a I'm a Fins fan. I'm a child of the '80s, and uh, so I'm, a lot of our generation, I guess. Uh, uh, I, I, I have followed the same path as me, which was, God, these guys look decent. Marina's incredible. The Marx Brothers. Yeah, this is going to be years of success. No, I had no idea they were going to be as, um, as abject as they have been, but I wouldn't change it, change it for anything. So, yeah, I'm a Dolphins fan through thick and thin and mainly thin. You got, you got to lock it in when it's your team and everything. I mean, Brian, that's kind of how you became a Giants fan back in the, uh, was it the 60s or was it? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not that old. I'm not that old, Mark. Back to 86. Um, yeah, when I was a young lad, the majority of the guys on the road sporting the Bears. And yeah. in the 86 championship game, the Giants beat the Bears. And that was it for me. Giants fan from there on. And uh, we've had some good years, some very good Super Bowls against your team, Mark. But uh, unfortunately, it's been a while since I've enjoyed a win. Never mind a postseason. So, uh, <laughs> but onwards and upwards, Mark keeps it real and keeps me. Uh, I'll, keep, like I'll to... keep you grounded, mate. I'll keep you grounded. <laughs> I'll keep you grounded. Now, we'll obviously get on to the week's games, but it'd be remiss of me not to just ask. I mean, you've obviously interviewed players and coaches around the NFL on your shows and then, you know, and had many of them in the studio with you in some of the late night shows you've been doing. Mm. I'm just curious. I mean, what would you say is the best story as a broadcaster or as a fan about your experiences in the NFL over the last few decades I'd say at this stage. Wow there's some good ones I'll, I'll, I'll rattle through a couple of very quick ones right so kind of give you a kind of cross-section of, of uh, life in this sport covering this sport so um, I remember early on in my career so you, you mentioned Channel 5 that was my first gig so back in the day 2007 was my first season broadcasting live and uh, and I was I was a, a very much a rookie, you know. I was very new to live television. I had cut my teeth as a stand-up and uh, and had uh, picked up an agent and was starting to do TV spots and and everything else. But I was very new to presenting, full stop. Let alone live presenting. So it was a real baptism of fire. And uh, and I got through the first year, and thankfully they asked me back. And the first thing on the next for the next year was a pre-season tour that we did. This is Carlson and I with a production crew in Albany to cover the Giants and then uh, over to Foxborough uh, to, to cover the Patriots. And the Giants uh, trip, uh, part of the trip was great fun. 
uh, not least because this was the Tom Coughlin era and we were recording a link uh, with practice going on behind us, which I uh, managed to interfere with, uh, even though we were about 90 yards away from practice going on, somehow word got back to Coughlin, who <laughs> red-faced, incandescent with rage, was shouting over, get those idiots off the field! <laughs> so, uh, uh, upsetting Tom Coughlin uh, in the first 12 months of my, my career was, was, was a high point for sure. Um, so that's right up there. The, um, on the same trip, when we went to Voxborough, um, we were hanging out with a bunch of quite jaded uh, beat writers for New England who were having to cover preseason press conferences, which can be difficult at the best of times. But when you're dealing with Belichick, I think you know you probably lose the will to live because you're getting so little out of them. And we were having coffee, waiting for the press conference to start. And I was, you know, sort of bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, saying, "Yeah, I think we're going to get an interview with uh, with Coach Belichick uh, because Carlson, as some of your listeners might know, uh, went to college with Belichick, went to Wesleyan College with Belichick, Wesley. um, and." They were looking at me like I was a complete idiot going, yeah, right. Yeah, listen, listen, you know, kid. It was almost like that, you know, Coach Belichick doesn't, he won't do it. He'll come out and do his things. And then I said, okay, no, I think we are. And they looked at me with complete, complete incredulity. And then sure enough, about five minutes later, the PR guy comes in and says, uh, fellas, before we start today's uh, press conference, uh, we're just going to do a quick uh, uh, five minute media hit uh, with somebody and then we're going to carry on. Okay. Guys, do you want to come through? <laughs> we got <laughs> wheel through to, to be Belichick, which is amazing. So that was, those, that was early on. That was straight away. Okay. This is going to be a, a whirlwind ride. And look, too many to mention similar stories like that. I think other two very quick ones. I remember getting um, yanked. I uh, was at the Vegas, uh, the Vegas, well, they weren't then, the Oakland press conference when they were over a couple of years ago, which um, in London, which Gruden had started uh, 10 minutes early, much to the amusement and frustration of everybody, all the press that were around. And I was sitting there and I had to ask him a question for part of the piece we were recording, right? Which, um, you know, which is, so I said, you could in a seat ready to ask the question. I had kind of camera to train on me to get that shot as well as Gruden's response. And my phone, which is on silent, but it's still buzzing away. WhatsApp, like, Nat, where are you? Where are you? We have, we've got Cooper. Where are you? Like, what's what really Cooper? What's going on? And uh, uh, eventually I get the question done, sort of pile out of the back of this press conference, like, what's going on? And there's the NFL UK guys saying, we've we, where have you been? We've got Amari Cooper for you. I didn't know what had told me I was interviewing Amari Cooper. Like, totally unprepared for this. I said, yeah, fine, no problem. And this is the thing, you just got to dive in and do it. Uh, in a hotel, this is going on, right? In the press conference. So we just get, end up in this really awkward, empty um, conference room. Uh, Amari Cooper, and this is not a knock on him because he's actually one of my favorite players, but couldn't be less interested in <laughs> having an interview at this point. And it was one of the most painful interviews I've ever done because he just didn't want to talk. He was just really fat. I didn't know I was interviewing him. So one of those. And two days later, he's, he's trained. He's in the Cowboys. So that kind of explains a lot of that. So that was a fun one. And on a more positive note, um, I won't go into the detail, uh, particularly because I know we're tightish for time, but Jim Kelly, when you look at all those games that um, I'd be fortunate enough to, to anchor for Channel 4 and, and the BBC uh, over the years, the London games, which are the, the, definitely the high point in my career. And there have been some brilliant guests that, that come through the doors there, you know, uh, and quite a random mix. You have Commissioner Goodell and Harry Connick Jr. And this is just a really surreal dinner party. And then but with Jim Kelly, that was that was the, the absolute high point. I mean, he's a, a hero of mine. 
I think he's a, he's a, I mean, a brilliant player, uh, a, 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 just such a strong character off the field with everything he's been through and what he stands for. So out of everything I've been lucky enough to do, meeting and talking and interviewing Jim Kelly, the high point for sure. Wow. Uh, and it's amazing coming from a Finns fan as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, that shows what a great guy he is. <laughs> abso- absolutely. Massive respect there. And uh, look, some great stories. And I must admit, as a fan, I used to love the late night shows you do with Carlson on 5 and Channel oh, 4. Um, I still, still one of the stats that sticks in my head is Carlson was, you were, I think it was the Patriots-Broncos game. The Patriots were down 24-zip. And Carlson came out with this line that said, no team in NFL history has ever scored three touchdowns with three two-point conversions to come back from that deficit. And the Patriots came back, but not that way. And I always have mm. that in the back of my mind. Every time I see a team down 24 points going, I wonder, could this be the time? But uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. great, great banter and a great, great guy to have on. Well, look, um, thank you for that. And let's turn our attention to more modern things then as well with the games. Obviously, mm. um, gents, we're, we're living in a world which is very strange. And this was the week that COVID-19 and a global pandemic uh, struck the NFL. Um, Brian Steelers' time has been pushed back and then the Pats Chiefs has been moved to Monday night because of Cam Newton's positive test. Are we still going to get the full season in or are we going to have asterisks? I think uh, I think we've all kind of accepted that this season is, is going to be a season like no other. Uh, but in fairness, I feel the NFL have reacted very well in the past week. You know, they were quick to reschedule the games, find a way, a solution to put games in place and then look the fact that the pages are now on the way, albeit it's strange to be travelling on the day of a game, they're still on the way. The game's going to be played this evening, which I still think is a very another positive. They haven't had to f- find another solution further down the line. From a, from a page standpoint, it's not ideal. They may have wanted the game to be pushed. Cam's not available. Yeah, playing how, the Chiefs with a backup quarterback sounds great. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you're. I don't think you'd be winning either way. But however, um, and then <laughs> in the last hour or so, the news has come out that the Titans team have now all been cleared. They've all tested negative in the next round of testing, which is a good sign that they can open the facilities tomorrow and then potentially play the game against the Bills this weekend. So in fairness to the NFL, I think, you know, this is on the fly. They have to adjust day by day. And I think they've, they've, what they've done in the past few days should be commended. Yeah. Uh, just an interesting one. I have a funny one for you, uh, Mark. Um, Eric Ebron, the former um, Colts tight end and uh, Steelers tight end now, he's one player that isn't happy with the latest changes. He had his birthday party planned for his, for his daughter the weekend of the boy. But unfortunately, now he's going to be in Tennessee playing the game. And he came out on Twitter and, and called it out. So whilst there's a pandemic and people are passing away and people are losing the job, you've got to get that birthday party sorted. <laughs> We've all got our struggles in life. Eric Ebron's, I wouldn't mind some days. Um, it's actually <laughs> probably um, great having that on as well. So actually, we can break some news on the Irish NFL pod as well today. Um, some brand new breaking news coming from the US about um, James Dolan. You might know, Brian, the multi-million owner of the New York Knicks is actually under investigation. Um, he's under investigation for payments to NFL players. Uh, apparently, he's paid $106 million to the 106 active players of the Giants and Jets uh, because apparently he's been paying them off to make sure the Knicks are only the third worst franchise <laughs> in the entire state of New York. I uh, like it. Well, at least we're competitive at the moment, Mark. You know, we've week one, week are, two, and last night. Well, but, I mean, um, yeah. I mean, turning attention to the games, in fairness, <laughs> they were gritty and really competitive against the Rams, it must be said. Um, the Jets were mm. cheap shot artists at the end of the game against the Broncos. So, uh, 
certainly I'm not saying this is a Pats fan I'm just saying you'd certainly be more on the side of the Angels with the Giants than you would at the Jets at the moment I is mean, that what it's like Brian is that is it is it I mean obviously you, you know you want your team to contend but as long as you're better than the Jets yeah then the season is saved essentially I, I wouldn't look at it like that like we do have a few Jets uh, fans who follow our podcast and I know a few of them so we do have our yearly bet on who has the better record at the end of the mm. season but uh I try tend to worry about my own team more so than what's going on on the <laughs> other side of New York. But uh, look, it's been a it's been a tough start. We're zero and four, and it's difficult to see where the next win is going to come. You know, we're away to the Cowboys next week, and then the Redskins at home, which is probably the game you could hear, Mark. But it's yeah. it's fast becoming that stage where attentions will turn towards who's going to get the first pick next year, which I don't yeah. really like talking about at the stage of the season, but the reality is, well, I think... Well, okay. Let's actually turn attention to that, because you, you love your Danny Dimes. I do. You um, end up, I mean, do you end up in the position like the Cards ended up with the first-round pick and they gave up on the chosen Rosen and went with Kyler Murray? If you ended up with the first-round pick, and I'll put it to both of you, your views on this, do you give up on Daniel Jones for the benefit of having Trevor Lawrence from Clemson? My opinion would be if it was, I don't believe Gettleman would be there next year. So a new general manager would come in and ultimately his opinion to the ownership, to the Marin family would be, I want to pick a new quarterback. You know, let's see my plans. And if Lawrence is available, because they all say he's a generational player, mm. I think the plan would be to try, wait till the draft time, potentially pick Lawrence and then try find some team that may give up a one or two to take Daniel Jones on. Because, look, I do think he's a good quarterback, and I just don't think he's, he's cut out to be the Giants quarterback in the long term. But I could be jumping, jumping the gun on that. Like, but he's, he's got to clear up this, uh, this interception issue. It's just, it's just not going away. Nat, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, you see a lot of football. I, I think it's, a, it's going to be one of the most fascinating questions this season when you look at the teams that are likely to contend for that pick, right? Uh, I mean, the Jets have a similar question with Donald right I mean yeah. I don't think I think you know he's a little bit further along but I don't think it's as, uh, as it's certainly it's not clear cut but either way I don't think they're necessarily giving up on him and are they going to have a new head coach next season almost certainly right uh, I don't know if that's as clear cut in, in New York it depends how the giant season goes and it's a great point you make they were really competitive against the Rams and that's not to be underestimated uh, because I think the Rams are, uh, as they've evidenced this season already are contenders for a, certainly for a playoff berth so uh, to go in uh to that game and, and, and keep it, uh, you know, gritty and tight, like fair play. And that tells me that's some good coaching going on there. So I want, I think Joe judge might be given a bit more time. It just depends really whether you end up with a, a you know, seven and nine, six and 10 good second half of the season kind of run or whether it's messier than that. Um, no, Washington, if they come seven and nine, they're winning the NFC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very good point. They're led in the division. I mean, Washington, I almost certainly would take Trevor Lawrence, I think, because uh, I think they would, uh, again, there's so much that can happen. And, and if Haskins suddenly puts a run together and shows enough, but you, you're absolutely right to say he is a generational talent. When I talk to, uh, to guys like Ben Isaacs, who's a regular on my ESPN show, college expert and very, very shrewd when it comes to this kind of thing. Cause always fine as well. Like when you're looking at, you know, I covered, covered the NFL as, as we talked about for, you know, 15 odd years and I loved it since I was a kid, but and I like college and I'll turn on, you know, a, a game on a Saturday night, but I can't pretend when the draft comes around to be, <laughs> you know, and everybody's suddenly an authority on all these players coming through. You've got to ask and talk to those guys that are watching a lot of tape and, and week in, week out. And, Mark, does uh, be, Mark does be pleasantly surprised with my take on the college. I, I find myself going through it 
in so much detail leading up to it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the, um, the book on Lawrence is exactly like uh, you said. He's a generational talent. I guess the parallel which, which a number of people have made is, is when Andrew Luck came out, right? That Andrew Luck, yeah. for all... And, you know, we heard this a bit with Burrow this year, but I guess because Burrow had this out-of-nowhere exceptional year, then it was, a, it was tempered a little bit. But with Luck it would have been extraordinary if, you know, and Peyton Manning before him, of course, there are certain quarterbacks that come out every 10 years or so. There seems to be the cycle where it's a, as close to a short thing as you can get. So on that basis, any team that passes on him would be crazy. But I think there are some teams where that's going to be a more complex question to answer than, than others. And Washington, I think it's a no brainer, the jets and the giants, it's difficult, but both I think probably should uh, and then who else is going to be feasibly Jags, in that mix? The Jag, no Jags be a no-brainer as well. The Texans would be interesting. I don't think they will uh, have the worst record in the NFL, but I mean, <laughs> the Texans could, could, could with, that may be one of the only exceptions of the struggling teams that with the Vikings, would they, if, for example, would they go? Yeah, I guess most teams would have to look at it really, really seriously. I, I think Den- Denver might be in the running. Um, obviously, doing our own podcast, I was quite confident on them, but, I don't think they would take a quarterback. I think they're they're in on not. Yeah, they seem to be. You know, that's a really interesting point. I was chatting to uh, a couple of Denver journos in the off season, not the same time. We didn't have a sort of Broncos convention, <laughs> but I was chatting to <laughs> a few different a few different beat writers over in the off season, and, and that's exactly what they said. They everybody uh, in the organization is all in on Drew Lock. They are convinced he's the guy. So yeah, that would be. But again, I think they say that, you know, and if they were to, if, if Lawrence was to fall to them, I think it'd be hard to, hard to refuse. Well, he's, yeah, I mean, we, we've heard, we hear it about every, a quarterback every year. I mean, the Raiders talked themselves into Jamarcus Russell, for Christ's sake. And we right, heard right. about the chosen Rosen and we saw how that pan mm-hmm. out. But I tend to agree, Lawrence is something special and whoever figures there is going to have a, tr- a tricky uh, decision to make. Mm. You mentioned a couple of people there have been, tra- uh, sorry, recently drafted. Joe Burrow got his first win this weekend. Mm. A kind of, again, a gritty game, I'd say, too. Not great teams, but they played competitively well against each other. He eked it out 33-25 against the Jags and the moustache of uh, Mr. Minshew. Um, even your Dolphins, um, Nat, they played yeah. a really good game against the Seahawks, keeping it close, keeping it tight, but ultimately going down to uh, the quarter-season MVP, Russell Wilson, down 31-23. Yeah, you could have written that one, I think, uh, in going into the game. I mean, a lot of people said maybe it's a trap game for Seattle because we Miami had had a, a longer preparation, of course, for having played Thursday Night Football the week before, and it's a coast-to-coast trip, and all of these reasons were given. I wasn't buying it for, for a second. I, you know, I felt Seattle would, would comfortably cover the spread, which, which they did. But at the same time, I thought it would play out as it did, which was we would keep it tight and... Um, and stay in it. And this is very representative of a Brian Flores uh, team. You know, this is with a few exceptions, pretty much every game that we've seen from Flores, even in the early stages with very limited talent and, and, you know, latterly with, with a bit more about it, but I don't think anybody expected Miami to seriously contend this season. I think it was always going to be a transitional season. And uh, there were some frustrating things in the game, but a lot of positives. I really think the more I see him, I think Gasicki is the real deal. Um, uh, Clearly Fitz is just holding that spot for two, which is perfect. Please do that for the majority of the season. This idea that you've got to bring in a, 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 a young quarterback 
before they've had time to adjust, I think is just a crazy part of the modern NFL. And I know people will say, well, look at Justin Herbert. He's a Dr. Water, but uh, give me that uh, Rogers with Favre, Mahomes with Alex Smith dynamic every time and let him just sit and learn and watch and, and soak it all in. I'd imagine with, with Her- just, on, just on Herbert, sorry, uh, like last week, people all expected him to win at home to the Panthers, but he had, I wouldn't call it a letdown game, but he, he yeah. kind of came back a little bit from the game in which he had against the Chiefs. And then this week, he has a really positive game. So yeah. it'd be interesting to see what comes up next week. But it, there'll be ups and downs with him all season. I think that's how Chargers season in general will go. They'll, be, they'll play really well in some games, and then some games they'll probably get below them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. I think that that's, that seems to be the route for every rookie quarterback season to, to a ex- stronger or lesser extent, right? I think one thing I was really impressed with Herbert, and I wasn't convinced about him, but I go back to my earlier point of, I can't say I watched, you know, 40 games of tape, right? I was kind of going off some, what I'd seen and, and also what people were telling me, but he seemed, if we're talking about sure things, he seemed to be a, a risky pick at, at six, right? You know, that's, uh, you know, is as much a chance of being a Blake Bortles, you know, Blaine Gabbert type as he, as he would, um, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a Josh Allen kind of, uh, well, was, Josh Allen's not necessarily the most reliable choice, although he's playing lights out this season. But, but I'm trying to think of a pick who wasn't one overall that uh, wasn't necessarily... Deshaun, Deshaun Watson, maybe? Yeah, great shot. That's a great shot. So uh, he's shown that composure, right, that I think is the players either have or they haven't and quarterbacks certainly certainly do I don't think they can learn it I think even players that work around it and become reasonably accomplished there's a certain collection of players that just feel like they belong and Mick and um uh uh I was about to say Trevor Lawrence um uh, who we talk about, Justin Herbert, yeah. uh, has, uh, has absolutely demonstrated that. And Burrow as well for me, uh, despite the fact that you can point to a lot of flaws and a lot of uh, issues. And like I said, that's true with every rookie quarterback ever. He looked pretty much from week one, pretty much from the first drive that he belonged. He didn't look phased. He wasn't worried. Mahomes had that in his first season, in that game against the Patriots when they were slugging it out. And then when he went toe-to-toe with Brady and ultimately lost, he just wasn't phased. And a young quarterback in a situation like that could have been absolutely blown away. And he was just, yeah, didn't even... And it, was, it was week six of that season, I think. It was his first primetime game and it was in Foxborough. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. He showed he belonged. Yeah. But you're saying pick six is, you know, dodgy. Pick two in recent times. I mean, you go back to Ryan Leaf, but um, mm. Bears fans will hate me bringing up their mm. pick of Mitch Trubitsky and indeed their trade up to two to take him. And in fact, I'm going to touch on the Bears because I will tell you, this weekend had a bit of a Cinderella story theme to me. I mean, for many teams, the clock struck midnight and they turned back to pumpkins. That is your Bears losing 1911 to the Colts with uh, Nick Foles employing COVID restrictions around how far close he could put the football to his wide receivers. Um, <laughs> Uh, and indeed the cards as well. Like uh, I was very big on them in the off season, but Kyler mm. Murray, let's be honest. I mean, did not have a great game yesterday. 31 attempts for 133 yards. Their air attack was non-existent and they're going a bit back like a pumpkin in that regard. Um, some games were a bit like Cinderella losing a dress. The Raiders now two and two after a great win against the saints, uh, losing to the bills, albeit bills are a very talented side, very much our favorites for the, AFC East and a real contender in the AFC and some people left Cinderella and we alluded to him already 
but they're left Cinderella destitute, abandoned at the side of the road, left to make a living on her own. And that would be if you're a Houston Texans fan or indeed anything to do with the Houston Texans and go into 0-4 with a loss of the previously winless uh, Minnesota Vikings. Guys, is there any hope? Well, is there any hope for Bill O'Brien, actually, let alone the Texans, but is there any hope for Bill O'Brien? Um, it's just a very strange setup because it's not just a case of sacking your head coach now. He's now the general mm. manager as well. Right. I think DeAndre Hopkins trade, it's funny because when we did our season previews, I was actually one of the few that was actually okay with the trade. I have to, but haven't seen the first four weeks. Mm. It's sporadic in the offense. I picked them yesterday. I think most people would have thought the Texans would have won that game yesterday. But for mm. three quarters yesterday, their offense just didn't do anything. Came back well. and you know They may have had a touchdown at the end that was overturned to get the game into overtime but I just I, they've had a very difficult start but I just don't see how they're going to turn it around now and make the playoffs yeah I think it's great points that Brian makes it you know this is a difficult situation because if you're going to move on from Bill O'Brien then you're moving on from the two most fundamental parts of, of your organization that are on the field right and that is not a straightforward thing to to bring in because it inevitably given the roster that whichever GM and head coach comes in, unless it is, I guess, conceivably could be the same person. The uh, It's hugely talented, but has a window that's running out. I mean, you could be wasting the best years of Deshaun Watson's uh, Houston career and certainly the contract that you've just, just re-upped and, and spent money on. Uh, you look at JJ Watt, who presumably is not going to be around for another 10 years, right? So, you, you know, you've got uh, you to strike while the iron's hot there. And there just seems to be so much. The offensive line is well-documented is just appalling and is the same old problem. Although the Vikings got a huge amount of pass rush on them yesterday. Um, but it, there's just so much change that is required here. I, I'm as well with Brian that I, I was wanted to reserve judgment on the Bill O'Brien or the John Drew Hopkins trade because it's easy. And, and I'm not just saying this for effect because I, uh, I referenced him earlier on, but Amari Cooper, I was very, very, uh, supportive of that deal or at least supportive of let's wait and see what happens because there could be a real upside here and it could be a win-win situation which is the definition of a great deal right and and it was it was a deal that I think both sides seem to, to absolutely benefit from and I thought okay well it's harder to necessarily join the dots here but maybe this is one of those deals and also maybe and I think this is still true irrespective of anything else there's more to it than meets the eye, right? The, the numbers we've seen retrospectively now that had some bearing on it. But, you know, from what I understand, and uh, I, I won't name him, but I spoke to a player that um, close to the situation and uh, said that there's maybe more to that than meets the eye. And that's not necessarily kind of throwing shade on either side there, but it, uh, it wasn't, I think, purely for fiscal or on the field reasons, should we say. Uh, so I think... Saying all that, I reckon the Texans are done this season for sure. And I think they have to move on because I think they, uh, the, the, the optics of the situation, that I just don't think there's any way back for Bill O'Brien here in terms of winning the fan base background, the, the, the broader media that will be continually giving him a hard time. I, I think they'll have to move on. And it's a shame because I think Bill O'Brien uh, has, a, has a lot of potential as both a head coach and a GM. I, I'm a big advocate in giving people time. There's, we see all, uh, all every, you know, every single situation of success, uh, almost without exception, has been because that coach, that GM, 
that quarterback has been given time, has been given time to develop. And in, if you look at the most successful organizations, the Packers, the Steelers, the Patriots, the Ravens, there's a, there's a common thread here, you know? Yeah, I, my feelings on that particular trade was the fact that it was, it was becoming one-dimensional in the sense that he was continuously being, you know, double merit or double teamed in the games. And they had a more rounded offense this year. They brought in Cobb, they had Fuller, who has the potential. Stills yeah. was a good trade for Miami. Yeah. And Cooks, are Cooks the, as well, right. Yeah, so I just felt that they would be more rounded and they'd, they'd, be, they'd be still be explosive. Yeah, I agree. And Cooks didn't even have a catch yesterday. So yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, at some point, you know, you, you, you obviously have... Ultimately, this is at the head coach's door and the, and the GM's door. But at some point, you've got to put this back on the players as well. You know, I mean, Cooks didn't have a catch last night. Well, look, gentlemen, I just want to say that they're giving hope to millions of Americans and millions of people worldwide who are obviously affected by this pandemic and losing their jobs. I mean, not only with the points explosion, there may be 32 defensive coordinator roles coming up, but in head coaches, <laughs> if Adam Gase, Bill O'Brien, Matt Patricia and Dan Quinn all even make it to the end of the season, I would be amazed <laughs> at this stage. So there's, there's lots going on. Anyway, um, bringing it back to the games, I, I won't dwell on this because it was a reasonably straightforward game, but um, the Ravens lived up to Edgar Allan Poe's famous poem. They quote the Raven, nevermore will they be bottled up like they were last week against the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> Lamar Jackson back with a fantastic touchdown run and normal service resumed, beating the Washington football team 31-17. And gents, I have to share this because I had to check this three times. The Cleveland Browns are three and one. And we are actually talking about football wins and losses, you know, three and one. Brian, I know he's your old favorite from Giants days, but if you could just hypnotize Odell Beckham Jr. to make him think that he's playing the Cowboys every week, the Browns could be Super Bowl contenders. We've been saying for a while that the Browns offensively They've got the players. It's just a case of whether they can put it together. And I think they've brought in Stefanski, who was highly sought of in terms of just being a coordinator last year. And obviously, he's got his chance to be head coach now. But uh, you can see the potential. Even Kareem Hunt, like obviously, he left Kansas City for different reasons than his football ability. He's starting to come on. And Beckham yesterday, yeah. He, you know, when Beckham plays the way he played yesterday, there's not many players in the league who can match him. Yeah, 70 odd yards rushing, 80 yards receiving, three touchdowns. The game, as it went on, had the hallmarks of that Falcons game a few weeks ago where the Falcons had the game put away and the Browns had the game put away. 24 unanswered points in the second, 10 in the third, fourth quarter, the Cowboys rallied, got within three, and then Beckham just has that um, end around, yeah. run off, off. Look, it was great. And uh, you're right, the Browns, they're going in, a good, in the right direction. Our uh, fellow podcast mate, Gordon, has a, a nice little love-in for the Browns, so he'll be very happy to see them. And look, I mean, now I'll put it to you a bit. The Cowboys, I mean, nearly an amazing comeback again. Dak Prescott, mm. over 500 yards, and certainly in the fourth quarter is proving his <laughs> franchise tag uh, viability. But I was a big fan of getting rid of Jason Garrett and thought Mike McCarthy, you know, never the most exciting coach in the world, but surely more competent and he'd be better for the Cowboys in these tight games. They, they don't have a defense at the moment. And if you're a Cowboys fan, you're wondering, what, what, do we, what have we done and where are we going? Yeah, they don't have a defense. They don't have a running game. Uh, certainly, they didn't against Cleveland yesterday, and and that's got to be an obvious concern given uh, given the, the amount of money they've paid Zeke, and they've got this headache with Prescott that if he keeps on balling the way he's balling, then they're going to have to pay him, and it'd be ridiculous, I think, to move on from him. But that creates all kinds of 
of issues because they've paid Zeke and because they paid Amari Cooper as well. We knew this, this day was coming, but it, it is evidenced uh, when teams do this lacks or rather affects the strength in depth. And, and this is always going to be an issue this season. And the Cowboys are particularly suffering from that. You know, when Van Der Esch and others went down, uh, that was going to uh, impact them defensively, which was already a concern. And, and the Browns exploited that. The fact they ran for over 300 yards when Nick Chubb had six carries, I mean, just tells you everything that you need to know. I mean, it was um, uh, Dearness Johnson. I mean, Dearness Johnson almost put 100, 100 up on, incidentally, 13 carries. So averaging 7.3 a carry there. Um, Kareem Hunt, uh, we know what he's capable of and, and able to uh, step up and step in uh, and, and be a game-changing player. And, and as, as you were saying, the Beckham when he is on his game is uh, a top three receiver in the NFL. There's no doubt about it. And and that was his first game incidentally as a Brown that he's had two touchdowns. I mean, when you think about that for a minute and think about the impact that Beckham was meant to have on this team and the reasons why he hasn't uh, a similar situation to Dallas, right? Well, it's the coach. So let's change the coach. The difference being that at the moment, it seems to be working with Cleveland. And in Dallas, I think Cowboys fans all around the world are scratching their head thinking, why the hell did we go with, with Mike McCarthy? Having said all of that, uh, I think for the, you made the gag earlier on, but I think the Cowboys will still win the division comfortably. I think they're by far the, the strongest team in the division. And it's not saying much, but I think they'll, they'll win the division comfortably. They'll, they'll roll to a winning record. If it wasn't for that uh, Falcons, well, what should we call it, meltdown? Yeah. <laughs> The, the Cowboys would be zero and four. Yeah, yeah, true. I uh, know it's but it, it, in the same way that the Bears, your head scratching, going, "How the hell?" Up until you know, yesterday, were were they unbeaten? So uh, strange things are happening in the NFL right now, for sure. But I think the Cowboys look—they're going to be flawed. They're not going to be a serious threat if they make the playoffs, but. Uh, they're going to be brilliant to watch. I mean, I will be tuning to every Cowboys game this season. There's no doubt about that. You want to, you want to bet the over on every single yes. Cowboys game <laughs> yeah. for the rest of the season. The over's going to be hitting high 60s with the Cowboys before long. There's no doubt yeah. about that. I was just on, just on the Bears. I know we're, we're kind of jumping back to the, the Bears again. I read some great comments on there in the Chicago Tribune this morning. Two comments, one of which was, can we not just play Trubisky for three quarters and bring in Foles in the fourth and we'll win every game? <laughs> yeah. and, and the other one was, uh, Foles is the kind of quarterback that if you need him to jump off a skyscraper to save a child, he, he'll do it. But if you want him to make you a ham sandwich for lunch, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love that. Yeah. Spot on. Well, I mean, look, not all quarterbacks are made like Nick Foles, and Nick Foles did beat the greatest of all time in one Super Bowl, let's let's not forget. And actually, turning our attention to that, we briefly mentioned Justin Herbert, um, obviously led the charge in a great game, a really entertaining game. As entertaining as the Browns and Cowboys were was yesterday, Chargers and Bucks was right up there with them. Mm. Uh, Bucks coming back from a 17-point deficit, Brady throwing for six touchdowns. Yeah, one was to the opposition with the pick six. <laughs> I was going to say six, yeah. <laughs> Low blow. He's only three behind Breeze. I'm trying to count every single one up for him. <laughs> um, but the Bucks roll in to ultimately eke it out. Um, Chargers, but Herbert, I think, was on a perfect passer rating to yeah. two and a half or three quarters. So the boys got skills, and he gave them the Bucks all they could handle for a vast amount of that game. Yeah, super impressed. And uh, apologies if I made this point earlier on in, in this chat because I've done a few shows today, and uh, and I might well have just regurgitated this without realizing in the same in the same chat. But his targets: 
four touchdown catches by four undrafted free agents. I mean, did I say that earlier? No, <laughs> no, no. Okay, good. no, no, no. <laughs> that was on my part. Okay. Um, I mean, that, that tells you a huge amount, right? Um, that you've got not just a young quarterback in the very early stages of his, uh, of his career in a shootout with the, the most successful quarterback of all time, but he is throwing some serious downfield dimes and uh, yeah. to, to, to guys that, that nobody wanted, right? These are und- four undrafted free agents. It's not like he's surrounded by Stefan Diggs and Hopkins and all, well, or, or the Cowboys. Well, I mean, you, you, missed, you missed the greatest one. You said successful, but greatest was missing it now. But, well, successful. Well, most successful quarterback. Most successful quarterback. But actually, I did see um, a, a, a friend of mine contact me and said, oh, Brady thrown to the undrafted running back and getting a touchdown there. I said, yeah, but he's also thrown to Gronk, OJ Howard, Mike yeah. Evans. Yeah. And others, and actually, that that Herbert point came up, and it was kind of, sort of like, yeah, look who he's got to throw to, and he's making magic happen, which is great to see. Yeah, you know what? Uh, uh, apologies, fellas, because I am uh, um, tight for time at the moment, so I'm gonna yeah. No, no worries at all, Matt. And then look, just before we let you go, I'm gonna ask you for just one, two last thoughts. Actually, with the fourth great games gone, the quarter of the season gone, who for you is the biggest surprise, and who for you, team player, whatever, and who for you is the biggest letdown? Wow. Okay. Biggest surprise. I think uh, I will go. The biggest surprise I think I'm going to go with is the fundamental shift in offensive philosophy for the Seahawks, which they were kind of leaning towards year on year. So two years ago to last year, but it is really seismic. If you look at two years ago, their run to pass percentage ratio was uh, about 10% tilted towards run uh, compared to now. There's been a 10% swing, I should say, to, to pass from run. That is, that's massive. And so the fact that they have taken that plunge and have said, right, Russell Wilson, go beat them that way, as opposed to we're going to grind it out and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll uh, wheel you out when we need to. Uh, that's been really, really significant for me. I think the Panthers surprising that they are competitive uh, without McCaffrey they've looked pretty decent the last couple of weeks and they might be one of those teams always a team isn't there that uh, nobody saw coming and, and is in playoff contention um the a lot of teams that haven't really surprised me i'm not surprised the cowboys are this erratic i'm not surprised the bills are looking this efficient i'm not even that surprised the cowboy um, the um patriots are, are contending as they as they are I, you know i was in the off season one of those people saying don't write them off everyone's saying they're going to collapse to a four and 12 record and and hey they still might in the end uh, not be contenders but i'm not surprised that they've started the season relatively capably so um yeah i i, I suppose the the freewheeling offense is we're seeing as well and just the collective lack of any kind of defense whatsoever um i suppose that is a little bit of a surprise we knew that the fractures off season everything else was gonna impact that to a degree but i think it's been i think defenses have been by and large appalling and uh uh and yes i know that the rule changes and and the whispers in the air that the league have had with 
the zebras have influenced that you know particularly with holding calls of course even even more but uh and nevertheless i'm surprised at how many shootouts we're seeing and that seems to just be only trending upwards to we'll see even more so hey great to watch but um yeah i'm trying to think there's even kind of one individual player that's really yeah maybe it's josh allen's development you know coming on year on year maybe that that is a I'd look at that as a shock so yeah lot, lots of different <laughs> things little things flying around but not one clear-cut one for me no, fair enough. And let Ross cook is definitely a, a theme, obviously, of the first four weeks. 16 yeah. touchdowns, time with Peyton Manning's record through four games, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, it just given they've had him for that long and now we do this? Okay. I mean, yeah, they've got, you know, Metcalf and Lockett's a great player uh, that I have liked for a long time. And I actually uh, I interviewed him when they were over, God, was it last year or the year before? Um, and he is just a really, really considered thoughtful measured uh consummate pro you know see to watch how he is developed into i would say an elite receiver in the nfl is no surprise to me at all so basically so you... the exact opposite of doug baldwin in many <laughs> yeah he was a great player <laughs> he was a great player but yeah very different different very different well, look, Nat, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Um, been a real pleasure to have you on. Um, ladies and gentlemen, ESPN's Nat Coombs. You can catch him, as I said, and that the NFL show with Nat Coombs on TalkSport and the TV nearby. And, of course, the international series when it comes back uh, on all times. Nat, thanks very much. Appreciate your time. Absolute pleasure. It. Thanks, guys. I'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. So... Brian, we'll continue on because a couple more games to wrap up then as well. Um, we have uh, the Saints and Lions was actually an interesting game as well. But also, I suppose we should talk about now the leaders in the NFC least, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, who have launched themselves from the depths to uh, a 1-2-1 one, and one record by beating the San Francisco 49ers last night. Well, that, last week we, we talked about... Um thought that the Giants would be um, the team to would go in and potentially uh, beat San Francisco Fortnite because of all the injuries, but it didn't play out that way. Um, and I think the injuries have caught up with the with the uh, the injuries have caught up with the 49ers this week. And uh, yeah, the Eagles went in and they took care of business. It was a bit of, a bit of a seesaw game, and Kittle did a lot for the 49ers offense, but Mullins didn't really have the best of games, and he got uh, he got benched. And uh, they just didn't have enough. They had a drive at the end, but they couldn't pull it out. So it's a big win for the Eagles. Huge win for the 49ers. Sorry, for the Eagles and a big letdown for the 49ers. You're right. But I mean, like, I think, um, yeah, injuries, even though Kittle came back and had a great game, did eventually catch up on them. And the Eagles needed it and they got it out. And I alluded to the Saints and Lions as well. I mean, another shootout. We keep talking about these overs. Um, and Matt Patricia, I've said, look, his head, it must be on the block, if not already chopped off. Um, Marie Antoinette and the Lions will certainly let them have cake soon enough. 14-point um, lead early on. And it seems to be a common theme in the Lions. They get these great starts and then they blow it. Yeah, similar trace of previous games with uh, the Lions taking an early lead in in Green Bay a couple of weeks ago. And then similar again last night. Went jumped out to 14 the lead. Saints came rolling back. I think the Saints really needed that win. And uh, yeah, they took care of business. It was uh, quite a comfortable win in the end, albeit the kind of the bad start that they had. And um, I think to the point you made earlier, Matt Patricia's under real pressure now. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And look, um, we will see obviously a couple of big games tonight. Now, um, Packers Falcons now have been pushed a little bit later, but we'll start off with the Chiefs at the, uh, and the Patriots. 
you know, for me, it's two clear favourites in these games. The Chiefs should handily deal with the Patriots and then equally the Packers against the, um, the uh, well, what do we call the Falcons uh, for choking, which is a nice name. It's very difficult to find. But uh, anything yeah. that you expect to maybe surprise the odds in any way in shape or form? Well, the line on the uh, Chiefs game was originally seven points, which we discussed on last week's podcast. But obviously with Cam down there, they've, they've adjusted that out to 10. And not many people are expecting a close game. It's hard to see how the Patriots can keep it close now. Um, I know if I'm looking at the stats the two times in the last 10, 20, 15 years where Belichick has been uh, minus seven points in terms of underdogs. They've covered both times, but it's a bit of a stretch tonight. I think this, the Chiefs will be uncomfortably. And on the second game, just at the point I made last week, um, I see a, a high-scoring game. I think the Falcons will hang around similar enough to what they've done recently. I don't think there'll be a meltdown soon because I don't think they'll be given the opportunity to throw it away. But I see Packers 40-23, something along those lines. Packers covering the spread. Falcons hanging around for three quarters. Packers just pulling away in the fourth. I'm with you. Aaron Jones for another couple of touchdowns, I reckon. One through the air and one on the ground. Um, and, yeah, I, I can't disagree. I see it very similarly. But look, um, we will have another uh, copy of the pod later on this week when we'll run down through those Monday night games and give our full week five preview. Hopefully, once Mr. Bridgefield has co- uh, passed through his COVID uh, checks, um, that we'll have him back on. I think it was COVID anyway. He said he was going to the doctors to get tested. Assume it must have been COVID. We'll, we'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, but um, obviously, great thanks to Nat for joining us today. And uh, we will talk to you all again later on when we do the full rundown of week five and see indeed how indeed the Monday night games play out. Uh, Until then, it's goodbye from Brian. Goodbye, Mark. And it's goodbye from me and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.